Everybody, welcome to the Five Hustle Podcast, where we talk about being an entrepreneur and multiple ways to make money for your family. I'm your host, Priest Gordon. I'm a retired engineer and full-time day trader. I started a company called Linwood Holdings. I invest in properties in Texas and in Colorado. Today's guest is going to be a phone. name is Al Robeson. He is a big-time real estate guy here in town. He does a bunch of flips, and also he works with my lender as well. So I'm interested in learning more about his business. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So tell everybody about yourself. Well, i um, 53 years old. I was uh, born in Detroit, Michigan. I uh, was in the Navy for six years and uh, got out right after the first Gulf War and uh, married 31 years, got a couple of kids. My youngest just finished college. So uh, uh, about to become an empty nester, so it'll be a little different. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice. nice. Uh, that's going to be weird. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be cool stuff. I know you were in the service before. Yep, six years. Uh, it was good for me. I saw 52 ports in six years, so I got to see a lot of things. It was a lot of fun. Wow, wow. Good for me. Well, thanks for your service, brother. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it was, sir. Yes, it was sir. my pleasure. So how did you go from the military to end up getting in real estate? Well, for years I was in sales management, and I decided I, I wanted to, to try doing real estate investing. Didn't know anything about it when I first started, which is like most people. And uh, a, a buddy of mine, we, do, we, we got together and decided we're going to buy a property, and we're going to fix it up, and we're going to make a ton of money. This is going to be easy. Oh, my God, this is no problem. This is, a, you know, this is 20-some years ago. And we ended up buying a new build spec home, which was a horrible idea. Not the best way to make money in real estate. Of course, we, we didn't know better. And it, it, it didn't go well. It went poorly. I, it ended up going so poorly that I had to turn it into a rental. And then I had to hold it, hold it for a number of years and lost a ton of money on it. But I wasn't going to go BK over it or something. So I just kind of roughed it out and, uh, and then took what I learned and said, okay, now we got to learn how to do this the right way. And, uh, so eventually I, I just started doing fix and flips. Um, and I was fortunate. I had somebody that, that helped me out a little bit, mm. helped me avoid some of the, the mistakes nice. that I had nice. made initially. Um, and then it, uh, it really blossomed from there. I, I got into it hard and heavy mm-hmm. and I've done over 300 projects in multiple States. Yeah. Um, and, and everything from your typical fix and flip, uh, buy and hold, uh, pop tops, new builds, mm-hmm. multifamily. Um, so oh, wow. I, I've got a taste of everything <laughs> and uh, realized I wasn't too crazy about the rental side, so I really focused on the fix and flip business. Mm-hmm. So what areas do you, I mean, I know you said a bunch of states, so what's your main state? I know you live in Colorado now, but. Colorado is, is where I do the brunt of my stuff. Um, I, I've done stuff as, as an investor myself in Nevada, uh, Arizona, um, and a few other places, but now uh, I'm older, I'm grumpier now, I'm more picky, <laughs> so I tend to do everything in my backyard, you know, yeah. where I can, I can look at it, I can watch it, I can, I can manage it myself, nice. and it, it just gives me a, a feeling of, you know, control, yeah. but uh, I'm capable of doing the remote stuff, <laughs> I just choose not to at this point in my life. You don't have to. Yeah. That's, that's right, that's right. So I know you talk about a bunch of properties. What's your favorite type of property, single families, or what are you looking at? I, I do. I like single family fix and flips. Mm-hmm. I like taking something that's, that's really rough. And turn it into something that's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, people, you know, you do this for the money, of course. But it's, there's a lot of pleasure in knowing that you took something that just looked horrible. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you turn it into something nice. You, you, you raised everybody else's values in that neighborhood up mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And you got somebody excited that bought the house and now it's theirs. And, you know, they got that pride of ownership. So... I really dig that aspect of it, and, and I hated the rental side of the business, even though now I've learned I probably should have bought a lot more rentals when I was up and coming. But um, but I, I went with what I was comfortable with and stronger at, and I, I, see, I, I could see that my talents were more oriented towards the fix and flip side, so I yeah. exploited that. Um, but I really like taking those those rough little houses and then just going nuts with it. And my wife helps me with the design stuff, so oh, nice. it's it's fun because you you really get to exercise your brain and come up with ideas. And um, I, I get a kick out of that. And uh, frankly, the the rougher they are in the beginning, uh, the more I enjoy it. Although it's it's it can be stressful because you know it's a lot of work and a lot yeah. of decisions. Yeah. But I enjoy it. So full gut jobs and everything. What's that? Full gut jobs and everything. Oh yeah, I've I've done projects where I've. Um, in addition to new builds and pop tops, I've done stuff where I've had to strip it all the way down to the studs and start over again, um, reconfigure spaces completely, um, additions and things like that. Uh, I, I really like when you can take the existing house and you can say, okay, I can reimagine it this way. I can reconfigure the footprint, um, create 
you know, a whole new, a whole new experience in that house. Now, obviously it's a little easier when you don't have to go through all that and you just yeah. got to cosmetically update it. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. That's easy. That's quick. Um, and, and I'm happy to do that and make money. But, um, many times uh, the way you can create value is by really redesigning that, that, that asset, uh, so that it has a much more functional modern yeah. floor yeah. plan. Yeah. And that's really where the money comes in. And then you put the right finishes in, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, uh, I really like, uh, getting, crazy with some of the finishes and, and creating some real eye candy, you know, yeah, some, some, yeah. some money shots, so to speak. Um, so that's the fun part. Yeah. I was, um, walking my mother through her house the same way. Like, okay, we're going to take down this wall. She's like, why are we doing that? I'm like you have the whole house compartment last. <laughs> we need to open house a little bit so you can see everybody. She's like, okay, maybe. Yeah. So dealing with that. But once they see it, they love oh, yeah. it. Oh yeah. Well, she comes to our house here and she's like, oh, this is so nice. We can see everybody. Yeah. You can sit back and you can cook in the kitchen and talk to little. But you know, back in the days, house wasn't designed that way. No, so it's different. And and now it, it, it's it's nice when you can really show somebody how a house that they don't see any potential mm-hmm. with can really become something amazing that they really want to be in. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we had a funny story. The house we bought in 2018 here out in Littleton. Um, so the previous owners leased them. They had knocked down walls and made open the whole thing up. But it's uh, uh my daughter's best friend is four houses down. And they have the same exact model, except it's just a little bit different. Our garages are different in the area above. But the first time they um, trick-or-treating at Halloween, knocked on the door. We opened the door, and the wife was like, oh, my God, they knocked the wall down. I told you we could do it. She screamed at her husband. Kevin was just like, well, just do it then. I, I felt so bad for him at that time. But when you walk in their house, you can see how it's really blocked up. And realize when you walk in ours, it just changes the whole house and going from there. It, it can make the house feel substantially larger yeah. and that's what people don't understand is you can you can create square footage yeah. just by the visual changes and the and the orientation of the spaces um and, and some people don't believe you when you tell them no i didn't add any square footage yeah. we just made we optimize the existing yeah, square footage right. i like that i like that so explain to everybody what a pop top is so pop top is you you take a, a house that's it's typically a small footprint house a lot of times it's a ranch that's the most common formula that works and you realize it's in a great area that has opportunity but the houses in that area have a lot more square footage um, a lot more higher end budget and feel so what you do is you take that existing footprint and typically the most common formula is you blow out the back and then you expand up so basically Mm -hmm. you add square footage to the back of the house and then you take take it uh, up uh, all the way around to create Mm -hmm. a second story at least sometimes even three um, so you're typically doubling or tripling the square footage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nice thing about a pop top versus a new build is, um, you're, you're starting with an existing footprint to, yeah. to add onto and build off of, but in, in retrospect, it really actually becomes a little trickier because mm-hmm. you're not starting with a fresh recipe. So inevitably, no matter how much details and scope of work and planning you do, once you rip it apart, you find out, oh, it's not exactly what we had hoped. Yep. Now I've got to do this, do this, do that. But um, but uh, the pop tops tend to be very appealing because you, you can you can typically do them for a, a better return in a, in a neighborhood that supports that than scraping a new building. Um, but nowadays uh, it's it's almost a push because you get some cost benefits from starting from scratch and doing it the right way all the way through. Yeah. Uh, so it just depends on the area. But pop-tops are fun. They're just a little bit more technical. I would highly recommend that somebody that's new to the business, they, oh. they shouldn't start with a pop-top. <laughs> it's probably the most complicated one. Even a new build is easier, but you should, shouldn't start with one of those either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I've seen some gorgeous ones. You sit back. I know my hometown, I saw one. You sit back, and if you grew up and seen the house one way, you come back and like, oh, man, that's so nice. And they all, at the same time, too, you talk about the extra finishes. Right. So you pop the top, but then also you change the outside sidings, different colors, different, the new posts on the front of the night. You're like, oh, man, they did a great job with that house. Right. Completely different from that. I mean, and a lot of times they'll, they'll stucco over the older brick and give the whole house a more modern look, or they'll keep some of the vintage brick and then mm-hmm. add something else to modernize it. Uh, it's That's what's fun about some of those pop-tops. In fact, in some of the more vintage neighborhoods, um, they prefer the pop tops because it still has some of the character yeah. of the older neighborhood and, and those types of houses. And so that's where they become more appealing than a, than a scrape and new build. Nice. Nice. So how are you sourcing these deals? So uh, my partner and I, we're, we're both real estate agents. We have our own brokerage. And so 
my partner, I'm, I'm really strong on the construction development and design side, and he's really strong on the real estate and the transaction side. And so um, we find a lot of our deals through the MLS, and people say, oh, you can't find deals in the MLS. Well, of course you can, absolutely. You just got to you gotta know how to look, and you got to be able to, to write offers and, and accept rejection, right? Yeah. You, Listen, if they say no, I don't lose anything. I just move on. And sometimes they say no today, but all of a sudden later on, they're coming back to me, depending on the market conditions. Right. Um, so not only do we find stuff in the MLS, but uh, because I've been doing this for so long, I know all the wholesalers in town, mm-hmm. and they know that I'm a competent investor, and I have the funds, and I can close quickly. So they know if they bring a deal to me, if it meets my metrics, uh, they know I'll follow through. So sometimes they'll bring me deals that before it even hits the the street and, yeah. and goes out to the public. Um, and if I want it, I can just get it. And I don't have to have a bidding war, um, which is nice. And then also because we've been around so long, we get a lot of pocket listings brought to us mm-hmm. from agents um, that know what we do and know that we can, we can handle it. Yeah. Um, and so th- that's great too, because again, you're not in a competitive environment. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, right now, um, it's a little crazy trying to find deals. Mm-hmm. And if you're buying from a wholesaler, typically it's going to be a, 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 an insane bid war. Yeah. Um, and I've gotten to the point where right now I'm not even going to those, those bid fests because um, it's, it's not worth my time as much when, it, when it's this nutty because there's going to yeah. be 20 people fighting over it. Mm-hmm. They're all going to want to pay more than probably I'm going to be comfortable with. And so fortunately I've got these other channels that – um, you know what, I can just wait for the right deal mm-hmm. and I can be a little more picky. Um, you know, it's, it's nice when you have that ability, but sometimes you gotta, you gotta go in there and slug it out just cause every you gotta find deals. Yeah. Every now and then you do. So talk about those metrics, your qualifications for the homes you like. So, you know, admittedly, I'm a little more particular and probably a little more conservative. Um, there's a lot of investors that, that have been around a long time and, and are very competent that are willing to work on smaller, thinner margins. Um, and I'm just, I don't have that mindset. You know, one thing I've learned over the years is, listen, it, it doesn't take much for something to go sideways That's on right. a project. Right. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much experience you have. There's things that you can't control or you can't predict. Um, and so my mentality is I don't go into a deal unless it's got a respectable margin and it's got a little bit of cushion for, you know, the things that can happen. Right. And so, um, I, 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 there's guys that do deals all the time. Oh, $12,000. Sure. I'll do that. And I'll, and they'll bet a little bit on the upside. Well, upside's great, but it's kind of like gambling, right? You know, if I want to gamble, I'll go to Vegas, but I don't do that when I'm buying houses. Upside is gravy. Upside is not what I base my purchase on. Mm -hmm. And there's too many investors, especially right now when the market tightens up, like it is right now, investors tend to say, justify a, a buy by saying, well, yeah, there's not really any margin in it today, but there will be tomorrow because the values keep going up. And plus, I'm so awesome. I'm going to create value. And, <laughs> and, and it's just like, you know, you're, you're, the only person you're fooling is yourself right, when you're telling right. yourself that that's things. Right. So I, I'm pretty particular. I, even on a small project with, uh, uh, you know, smaller purchase price and less capital involved, you know, liquid capital, I still don't want to do anything for less than twenty or 25000 And frankly, yeah. that's that takes a little convincing for me to yeah. even consider. Yeah. Um, because I'm just not going to get in there and, and not only take the risk, but spend all the time and the effort mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for a not respectable That's right. margin. That's right. And there's a lot of people that they tell me, oh, you're you're crazy. I'd take that deal all day long. And, and my mentality is great. If it works for you, Go for it. your numbers are your numbers, my numbers are my numbers. That's always going to be the case anyways. Yep. And don't let anybody make you talk you into buying a deal based on their numbers. Mm-hmm. Buy the deal based on your numbers. That's what right. makes you feel comfortable. Your numbers are not going to be mine. That's okay. That's right. But don't let somebody else sell you because right. uh, it's there's again, there's just too many factors that are going to create problems. Anyways, don't add to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm very pushy on margin. In fact, one of the reasons I, I haven't been doing pop tops or new builds lately is because it got to the point where a pop top and a new build margin was the same as what I make on a flip. And my mm-hmm. mentality is, listen, if I'm going to do a pop top or a, or a scrape, that takes substantially longer. Right. <clears throat> right. I... I don't want to do that for the same margin as a flip. In fact, if that's the case, I'll just do more regular flips mm-hmm. because it takes less time that's and it's right. less that's risky. Right. Um, I, frankly, I want a six-figure return when it comes to a, a pop top or a new build, and that's the starting point. Yeah. Um, so uh, because the market has changed a little bit, it's made me adjust what mm-hmm. I will even consider looking at. Um, now, if something falls into my lap that 
that meets all those criteria, by, by all means, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. But I, I have to say, I'm pretty conservative and I'm fairly particular in that respect. Has to be worth your time. I mean, so many times people, people sit back and they're, they're trying to get a small margin. But if you realize so many bad things can happen, when you open those walls up, you're like, wow, okay. And like you said, if you have your budget set one way, like you're talking about the pop tops doing, when you take those walls apart, oh, I didn't realize we got to do this, do this, and, and then all of a sudden that's $12,000. That's right. And I'll tell you what, there's two guarantees in this business. So when, I'm, when I'm coaching and mentoring other investors, I tell them, listen, the two things you gotta you got to always be mindful of, it's going to cost more and it's going to take longer. Everything you do is to mitigate against those two inevitabilities. Right. And so, uh, and some people say, oh, that sounds really negative when you say that. Well, it, it's not negative. It's, it's going into it eyes wide open, That's realistic. Right. And if you don't go into it knowing that those are your battles that you got to fight, then you're not going to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, listen, I'd love to tell you that every deal I did, worked out exactly the way I said, and I made uh, uh, more than I expected, and it took less time, and I came in under budget, but I'd be lying. And mm-hmm. and anybody that tells you that says, oh, I've made money on every deal, and uh, you know it's always been perfect, and you know what, walk away, because uh, they're feeding you a line. There's yeah. something not right oh, with yeah. that. I've been yeah. doing this a long time, and I don't care how good you are, stuff happens, right? That's right. In corporate engineering, I'm building plants and compressor stations, stuff like that. I had two budgets. So I had a budget that everybody knew about, then I had the real budget in my own eyes because in the end you always know, okay, put this to the side just in case because your timing is going to go that way. Contractor is going to get a crazy snowstorm. It's going to be negative 10 degrees in Greeley. Something's going to happen. Oh, we can't get this valve. I mean, we had one project where there was a, we needed an 18-inch valve. There was only two in the entire country. So I bought both of them. Only needed one, bought both of them. And then <laughs> that project got so crazy, I was missing materials. I was in Midland, Texas at a plant dealing with all this stuff. I'm on the yard, and I found a valve I needed. I'm like, who's stuff for this? I don't know. I took it. And they got my project right on schedule. I was like, oh, my God. It's this crazy stuff happens all the time. And project management, you're dealing with that, you always expect to go over. always expect to be late. You try to plan against it. You, t- you teach management, hey, this is what we got going on. But you always, in the back of your mind, just ready for it. Some people, they, they, they manage these projects assuming the stars are going to align for them. And they even base their numbers on, well, if everything's perfect and, you know, the market does this and, and this, this neighbor's house does that, this is what I can make. Well, man, that's that's not business. That's, that's right. dreaming. That's, that's I don't right. know what you call that, but that's not the way you need that's to right. do this. You got to look at things the real way. Right. But at the same time, so you tell people, so new investors get caught up a lot with this. So, perfect example, I go out my buy my son some shoes. If they are, he normally wears a size 11 now, but back in the days, he would take anything you would get him. If you say you're buying him some new football cleats, he'd just go get them, even though he'd tell you the wrong size. Like, do these fit? Oh, these fit great. These fit great. And then he'd get in practice, and he's walking off. Well, what's wrong? Well, they're kind of tight. I was going to buy you some cleats regardless. Let's get the right size. But because he's so excited to get some new cleats, he just says yes to anything. And it's the same thing. People will say yes to whatever kind of deal they offer the price to him. I'll buy that, and the numbers really don't work for them. And they get in these bidding wars, and mm-hmm. they get that bid fever, right? They don't want to lose. They want to yep. win. Yep. And I get it, but you've got to go into it knowing, hey, this is my number. If yep. I get it for my number, great. Yep. If I don't, somebody else can, can deal with it. And maybe yep. they'll do okay. Maybe they won't. I've even had guys come back to me afterwards and say, see, I told you. I, I, I'm like, great. So you, yeah. you got lucky. It went your way. But you know what? Just yeah. as easily could have gone the other way. That's and right. I can show you six different ways where that happens. That's right. So, uh, you know, you you got to be disciplined. And, and unfortunately, I think new investors, they they watch these shows uh, on TV, and they, they think that every house sells above asking at, at, at open houses, which – Okay, recently in Denver, maybe that's happened a, few, yeah. a little bit more, but that's not normal. Yeah. And 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 frankly, in all the years I've been doing this, I think I've sold one house at an open house. Mm. You know, one of my properties at mm-hmm. an open house. Um, but people they watch these things and they just assume that's the reality, and yeah. and then they get caught up on it and they're banking on that, and yeah. Yeah. things then reality comes crashing down. Yeah, and think- that's why a lot of these guys are one and done, right? Yeah, yep, yep. So many times I think you should plan for the worst. If, it, if it's great, if it sells at the opening, I mean, all kinds of stuff, that's great. But so many times, I believe you should plan for the worst. They say, you know what? This market's going to crash next month. Everything, something crazy is going to happen. going to crash next month. I'm going to be stuck holding this thing. Can I rent it for the right amount? Oh, you can't. Let me look at three different exit strategies going from there. So looking at that kind of stuff is crazy. Same thing with mobile homes. It is so many people want to get into flipping them and everything else. I'm like, listen, that price does not work for you. And, well, I can flip this. What's your selling price going to be? Oh, 
This lady got mad at me because she wanted to sell a pre-HUD home for like $80,000. I'm like, no one's going to buy that home. She didn't list it with me. She listed with somebody else. That was six months ago, and it's still on the market now. So, so many times people don't really understand their own market and what they're looking at. It's going to really cost them to go from there. And, and, and listen, it's, it's one thing to hope for upside. We all want to, we all do that. Yeah. And sometimes we get lucky and that's the way it goes. And that's, that's awesome. But it, it's gotta be the gravy. It can't be the basis of mm-hmm. the deal making sense. Yeah. And, but you can't, it's hard to teach that, uh, you know, sometimes people, they inherently got to understand that, or maybe this is just not right for them. Yeah. They got experience it hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I did that in my engineering side. I, I learned the hard way with that. Like, okay, from here on out, put a little bit more in my schedule. More on my budget, all my estimates a little bit higher than I think they may be. If they come in under great, I mean, but you know, I did the same thing when I first started doing flips, and and I was doing my budgets, and I think it was you know you're trying to convince yourself that you can really do it for less than it's really going to cost because this number will make the deal so much better, (laughs) and 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 I caught myself doing that for a while, and then I realized I was like, listen, I keep getting disappointed to the end, but. I'm only disappointed because I didn't start with a realistic number. So let's start with a realistic number. And if I get lucky and beat that, Mm -hmm. great, I feel even better. But just hitting the number feels good too. That's right. You know, and or, or, you know, my my goal is to be within plus or minus 5% of -hmm. what my Mm -hmm. budget was proposed versus my budget realistic. And, and, And if I can stay within that window, I feel like, you know what? That's that's good, yeah. and that's with all the curveballs that come throughout the project. That's right. But for a while, I fooled myself, and and I learned. I, you know, I, and I tell I tell people when I'm teaching them, I, listen, it's it's you are going to be the one that gets fooled and gets disappointed with this. So just start realistic, and if it costs you the deal, wait for the next one. That's right. That's right. I think that's a key point there. So how are you managing these projects? You GCing them yourself? I I do. Um, I prefer the control. I I I feel like. You know, listen, nobody cares like an owner, That's right? right. That's right. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll talk to a, a newer investor and I'll say, so how, how often do you think you're going to be at this project? Oh, every other week, whether I need to be or not. And I'm like, wow, you know, you're going to have some problems. Uh, you know, uh, I want to be at my projects as much as I can. Uh, my guys know when I show up, I'm not there for high fives and hugs. That's right. I'm there to figure out what's not right, what, what's what, – what, what did we miss that's going to cause me a problem in two weeks? Right. Or what did they forget? Why, why didn't you do this before we did that? You know, uh, do we have this? Why not? Because if we don't have that, we can't get this done and that's we're right. going to miss that deadline. And so my mentality when I walk on the job site is, hey, I got to figure out what's, what's not going to get done that's going to cause me a problem. That's right. and, um, and people think that's sort of negative, but that's, that's project management. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. And it's like herding cats, you know, uh, when you're dealing with the, you know, all the vendors. And, and I hire all the trades. I manage them all. Um, I handle the payouts. Um, and I feel like it gives me not only a level of control, but now I'm not surprised with what mm-hmm. what what I come up with as a product. There's too many investors that they're like, oh, well, okay, they're going to figure it out. And when they show up, it's not what they yeah. wanted or expected. Well, if you'd have been there and you'd have been involved, it would have happened that way. That's right. I mean, just a stupid thing is tile. I learned early on. I used to get frustrated because I'd, I'd go buy the tile and I'd say, okay, I want this tile in that bathroom. I want that tile in that bathroom. Oh, and in this bathroom, I want this tile on the floor and this tile on the wall. Mm-hmm. And then here's your accent tile. And I'd explain it and I'd, I'd mm-hmm. set it all in the right places. And then I'd come back and it was not yeah. right. Yeah. And, oh, they get, they got these tiles mixed up or they didn't run it this way versus that way, you know, brick set versus straight set or yeah. whatever. And I finally said, okay, well, I got nobody to blame but myself. Just because I told them doesn't get me off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still the one that ends up with the result, right? right. And I got to deal That's with right. the problem. So I started creating these packages of information for each yeah. tiled space. And it had a drawing and it had the specs and it had everything they need. And, and I'd make copies of it and I'd hand it out. Yeah. Um, and I also do the same thing with my scope of work. So when I walk on the job site, I'll ask them a question. Well, what's 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 this? And they'll say, "Oh, well, I'm not sure. Is is it supposed to be this or that?" Well, check your scope of work. That's right. Oh, I don't have. Oh, look at this. I got a copy That's for right. you. Here That's you go. Right. Why don't you look at the scope of work and then and then we'll have that conversation. Because if you don't refer them back to, you know, mm-hmm. what's supposed to be driving everything, then they won't get used to the program. That's right. And so, a lot of my management style just derived from being frustrated with the way things went and I said, "Okay, how do I how do I do this so that I don't have this problem anymore?" Yeah. And I'm a certified project manager, and that is exactly what you're supposed to do. That is, 
you got to have those drawings. And I'll tell you, uh, my first time having same, that same project in Midland, Texas. <clears throat> so I had um, the wrong set of drawings. So I was using I was using the new set. The construction guys didn't get the email. They were using a different set. Oh. And at this time, this was before um, the project controls costing was it was involved. So they could go order new materials if they wanted to. I think it was like one hundred sixty five thousand worth of materials. Oh. I was eight months into the job, so I'm panicking like, oh my god! I was making sixty five grand at the time. I'm like, that's almost three times my salary. And I went to my boss. I'm like, this is what happened. They didn't get the email. He said, so what do you want to do? I said, let me get my truck. I'm going to drive all the way to Texas. I'm going to camp out there for a couple of weeks, get this all taken care of. And that's what we did. So I learned right then, make sure my drawings are correct, make sure they have the correct copies, and we walked through that thing for every single bit of that project going from there. And so and you think about doing construction for homes and everything else, so many of your contractors are just, oh, yeah, I, I think it look good over like that, and they're just doing what they got to do. And then you walk in there getting a surprise at the end, like, I really don't like that towel. But it's done, and now you're like, okay, if I have them take it down, then it's going to push me. And it might yeah. cost you, too. That's right. That's right. And and you know what? You can't blame anybody but yourself at that That's point. Right. So I learned early on, you know, you say it once, you say it again a different way, and then you say it a third time. And, and then you put it in writing. You, you have copies. Mm-hmm. You have, I mean, you just, you have to really manage it. And people don't, when you say manage it, they take that, that word casually. And I have to drive that home and say, no, you don't understand. You truly need to manage the activities and the, and, and the attention to detail and the results. Otherwise you're going to be disappointed and it's going to cost you. That's right. Cause you're the boss of the ship. That's right. So how are you finding your contractors? It's a constant battle. Um, when I find good ones, you know, I, I hang on to them, uh, you know, with a grip of steel, but you know, every, every contractor that's good today, could be horrible tomorrow. You know, it just all of a sudden somebody falls off the wagon, right? And they were, well, I don't understand, but he was so great uh, last time and this time. And what, what happened? You know, sometimes you find out you haven't heard from somebody in a couple of days or not answering calls. Oh, well, you know, Johnny got arrested or, uh, yeah. you know, something happened and he had to leave town and just no, no notice, no nothing. It's just mm-hmm. part of the game. And so I, one thing I try to do is develop relationships with my vendors um, price is, is important. It's really important, but it's yeah. not the most important thing. And, and that's another thing that, that, that uh, newer investors grapple with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, listen, I'd rather pay a little bit more and get something I can count on yeah. and that I'm happy with consistently than the other options. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I'll, sometimes I'll even go to my guys and I'll say, you know what, this is a great rate. Tell you what, how about if I pay you this instead? And they're shocked sometimes, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what, I get some loyalty. I get some head of the line privileges, so to speak. Right. All of a sudden my job's more important. Also when I pay them weekly or every other week, whatever makes them happy, that, that matters to these guys too, because when, when they know they don't have to worry about chasing that payment, boy, does that change their, their attention span Mm -hmm. and their priority list. Right. And so I, I take that into consideration as well. And then when I show up to the job site, this might be small, but it, it adds up. I, I tend to try to feed my guys on the job site, yep. you know, yep. bring them food, bring them drink, whatever. Yep. Um, and listen, I know I'm going to be a pain in the ass on some things. I know that I'm particular and I know that they're, as soon as I walk out, they're going to talk about, well, geez, why is he hassling us on this and that and the other thing? So I try to compensate for that by, mm-hmm. by giving them some good stuff too. That's right. Um, and so once I get past all the, the issues and the challenges on the walkthrough, then I, I try to make sure I point out, hey, man, I really like that. Man, that's that's really nice. I like the way you yeah. did that. Or, hey, thanks for taking the initiative on that. I mean, even a stupid thing like, you know, things break, things come up missing on job sites. It's a problem that you always have. Yeah. And it's always not me. Uh, that not me guy did it. Don't know. Uh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And and it got, it got to the point where when somebody would actually admit, hey, my guy screwed up. He stood up on the sink and it, it broke uh, the mount. And, uh, man, I kind of wanted to hug him, even though he was telling me something bad because he was being honest with me right. because of the relationship, right? That's right. So, um, but it's a constant effort. And I'll tell you, one of the things you want to try to do is try to get referrals from other investors because then there's at least some degree of them being proven in an investor mentality because there's a difference between uh, vendors that work for retail clients and vendors that work for investors. Uh, 
There's a difference in pricing. There's a difference in the in the work, um, availability, et cetera, desirability. Some guys don't want to work in a, a, a retail clients space because yeah. it's it's a lot of hassles that come along mm-hmm. with that. They'd rather work in a fix and flip environment where they don't have to worry about moving an owner's furniture and worried about letting their cat out and all this yeah. other crap that they got to deal with. So understanding that that there's different mentalities that fit this sector better and 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 trying to get them from guys that know better so uh, always try to get uh, uh referrals but it's a constant battle even when you think you're tight you need to be looking still for additionals because you might need multiple crews um the guy that's been great for two years all of a sudden isn't anymore and yeah. so you got to be prepared for that so i try to have multiple sources in each each trade um, not only to juggle demands and, and jobs, but to, to cover when when the inevitable yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So break down. Let's say so. Let's say real estate. Real estate agent Johnny calls you. Hey, you know what? I have a three two. Um, it's, it's let's say it's going to be at three hundred grand ARV on this thing. Is looking like five twenty five, five forty, something like that. Go from there. How do you start it? So you mean as a lender or as I an mean no, as a as an investor? So you looking at that thing and say, okay, I okay. can flip this. Make it great. So what's your process? He gives you that call from when you, you're looking at it, how do you analyze the deal to how do you walk through, figure out what you need to make on repairs and go from there? So the first thing I want to do is, okay, they think it's worth X. Uh, I want to at least find out, are they even in the ballpark? So let's take a look and, and, and do a cursory search on what, what, what do we think that real ARV is, that after rehab value. And um, – I'm assuming that they're going to have a little fluff in their number just because that's nature, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm going to find out what ballpark I think that number really is. And, and and right now I'm just looking for a rough number because there's variables that I'm going to find out about that might adjust that. But if that starts to look like, okay, it's it's in an area that at least makes it worth digging deeper because sometimes you might go, yeah, this is, this is not even <laughs> worth going any further, okay? So assuming that it's worth going further, now I want to I go there and I want to walk it. I want to, within 30 minutes on site, I should be able to come up with a rough rehab number, figure out what should be done to the property to get the value, and two, what that should cost me, ballpark, Mm -hmm. you know, rough. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, I'm also looking at reasons to disqualify the property when I first get there. What's it across the street from? What's it back up to? What's it next to? Is the house next door the Beverly Hillbillies? Or is it a high-end house that's going to help me? is um, does it back to railroad tracks? Is it near uh, a freeway? Um, uh, is it uh, a floor plan that can be optimized, or is it you know functionally obsolete, and that's going to create problems for yeah. resellability? Um, are there hidden defects that are going to drive the cost up enough to make it not viable unless there's a substantial difference in in pricing? Um, so I'm trying to make sure, is that rehab fairly normal? Or even if it's not, what, what's that number? And is, is it make this deal completely make sense or not mm-hmm. make sense? Um, but usually within 30 minutes, you should be able to ascertain those types of things. Um, also, thinking about the things that you can't verify when you're there. You can't do a sewer scope right then, yep. right? And that could be anywhere from 2000 to $12,000 in Denver, for example, okay? Um Roof. Sometimes you can look at a roof and think it looks decent, yeah, but right. it could be bad, and you just can't see it from the ground. Mm-hmm. So you got to. There's certain things you got to factor into your number, knowing that hey, this is what I think the number is, but there's variable X, Y, and Z that That's could right. could change it up to this amount. Mm-hmm. Is am I comfortable enough to keep going, or yeah. have I disqualified it? Yeah. I'm also looking for something significant like structural damage. Not that I won't buy a house with structural damage, but that's a substantially different scenario. And you got to factor things into that. Um, so, uh, and, and structural repairs are notoriously expensive, and they're highly variable. So, um, basically, I'm trying to ascertain: is there any reason I should disqualify this this deal? And if not, okay, what do my numbers look like versus what they pitched me? And now I'm ready to make an educated decision on how much am I willing to pay for this property in order to get it? What's my max? Um, and and see if they're willing to talk turkey. If not, okay, then we, we, I guess we've killed that opportunity. Mm-hmm. If, if, we, if, if we can talk about a number that makes sense, great, let's talk about that. And then I start thinking about what am I going to do to make that offer more appealing. Mm-hmm. So as an investor, I tr- most of my deals 
are with no contingencies, no inspection deadlines, unless there's something specific that I'm concerned about. And I tell them, listen, I take it with no contingencies except for this. I've got to have the ability to check this out or it's going to change my number. Uh, So let's talk about that. Otherwise, I'm going to do a no contingency offer, no inspections, um, no outs. and, and, And many times, whatever they're asking for on earnest money, I'll double it or triple it because it doesn't change my cost on the deal, but it sure makes them pay more attention to my offer. That's right. Okay. And I'll make it hard immediately. I'll tell them, listen, money's, money's uh, non-refundable. As soon as we go under contract, you give me my terms. Yeah. And then I'll also tell them I'll close as quickly or as slowly as you'd like. (laughs) I can close in three business days. And, or I can close in 63 business days, 93 business days, whatever. It doesn't matter. As long as I got this in my pipe, I'm happy to have it. Yeah. Um, so sometimes that's also a, another factor that will give my offer uh, a little more heat. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes they'll even laugh when you say, oh, I'll close in three days. And I'll say, no, no, no. Noticed I, I doubled the earnest money and I'm making it hard. So if, yeah. if I don't do it, yeah. you just got all that money to, to, to cover your hassles. Yeah. So um, it really makes a difference. So those are the things I do once I've, I feel like I've got something I want. Now, how do I make it hard for them to say no yeah. to me? Yeah, you go get it. Right? Right. So so then let's say they accept the offer. So then going forward from there, what's the next step? My, uh, for me as an investor, I want to I wanna take my rough scope of work and I want to turn it into a, a hard, um, detailed scope of work to manage the project by. Mm-hmm. And if I'm lucky and I have enough time between acceptance and closing, my goal is to get that done so that Wait. I have it ready by closing. Sometimes I can't do that, and my scopes of work are very detailed. I spend a lot of time putting them together. So sometimes I close on the deal, and I can have my guy start working on demo, but I, I don't have my scope of work dialed in because I don't, I don't just take a scratch yeah. pad and, and say, new kitchen, new floors, new paint, here we go. Let's hope it turns out all right. I, I do a very detailed scope of work, and then I make my guys manage the project to the scope of work. Um, and it's got numbers. It's got details, um, specs, et cetera. Um, so my goal is to try and get, if I'm lucky, to get that done before closing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I needed to trigger some inspections, it will help me lock that down. For example, maybe I I, I, I estimated that there was some sewer line issues, and I want now I want to get it nailed down. Or maybe I want to get that roof bid tightened up. Um, or maybe I just have the landscaper go over there and give me a, you know, a once over. Yeah. So bottom line is anything I can do that helps me tighten those numbers up between acceptance and closing. Um uh, uh, because my goal is as soon as we close, I want to get my guys in there tearing it up. Um, they should hit the ground running. Um, I'm also going to decide strategically how I'm going to handle that flip. Am I pulling permits on it, or is it something that doesn't really need that? Mm-hmm. If I need to do that, do I need what do I need to tee up to get ready for that? Because that could be another time bandit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then going from there, you get everything lined. So when you get ready to sell it, since you guys are agents, you're selling it yourself. That's correct. Me and my partner, we have our own brokerage, so we sell it and we offer uh, – brokerage services to other investors for a discounted rate. Um, our mentality is, listen, you know, um, I want to I want to keep my cost as reasonable as possible as an investor. So when we list for other investors, we're thinking the same way. We're, we're looking at it as if it was our deal. So um, another thing that I do before I go to market is I do an exterior measure on the property. A lot of people don't know that trick. And um, that's what appraisers do is they do exterior measures to get the maximum square footage. And many people don't do that. Many times you do an exterior measure, you might pick up 100, 200. I've even picked up as much as 300 square feet on a property because the measurements they had in the MLS or public records Mm -hmm. weren't accurate. And you can do an exterior measure and note that in the listing. uh, uh, And now all of a sudden that could put you in the next category up Mm -hmm. uh, because of square footage. So that's something I'll do before the listing. Um, and then I tend to, to do staging, whether it's vignette staging for a light staging effect or full staging, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the property and the price range and also some of the challenges of the floor plan. Sometimes when you have a floor plan where some of the spaces are a little tight, yeah. you might go with full staging to really show them how yeah. it works, yeah. right? You don't want people assuming it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so that'll be part of the prep as well to go to market. Um, and then it's uh, uh, make sure that there's no restrictions on showings to try and get the maximum traffic flow. I don't want them to have to jump through hoops. I want them yeah. to go and show. Nice, nice. So how are you guys funding the deals? So uh, I, I always use private lending, you know, um, and, and I work for a, a private lender locally. I've known this guy for th- over uh, just over 30 years. Yeah. And um, and I like the way I can leverage myself mm-hmm. because um, over the years we've built up a, a, a nice batch of working capital. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, at one point uh, – 
I'll even tell you why I, I really got firm on this is I was always using, you know, hard money to fund my deals, but I got cocky at one point. I said, you know, we got a lot of working capital and, you know, why don't we just fund the next deal on our own? And granted, it saves you some money, right? Yeah. Because you don't have the cost of money. Although even using your own money has a cost because it's opportunity cost. It's not doing something else. But I thought, oh, we're going to do this. And then right after I did that and and basically took the, the lion's share of my working capital up for that deal, one of my pocket listing uh, bird dog kind of agents came to me with a three for deal, three oh. houses in a row, package deal. And I was yeah. like, I don't have enough working capital right now. And I, I literally had to say no to that deal. Oh, wow. And I told myself, I will never allow that to happen again. Mm-hmm. So uh, ever since that, that, that learning moment, yeah. I said, okay, so I'm always going to leverage on every deal because it's going to keep me liquid on my working mm-hmm. capital. So I never have to say no to a deal because the deal you say no to, you know, how much money did you, yeah. you lose on that? Right. That you don't know. Right. So um, that was a, a lesson that I learned the hard way. And it was, it was expensive, but ever since then, I, I always take the maximum, you know, like typically I can get 70% yep. uh, of the ARV. I'll take that maximum. I'll use my working capital to cover any gap, yep. plus, you know, flow things. Plus it keeps me liquid so that if another deal comes along and, and typically I'll have anywhere from one to four deals going at a time, because I don't want to say no when the next deal comes through. Nice. Nice. So working with lead funding, how long you been working with those guys? About eight years. Oh, nice. And, but I know the owner for 30 years, um, and uh, they're based here in Denver, uh, and they're a local direct lender. So the, they don't uh, they don't have to go to any other parties for the money. They have the funds in-house. Nice. I know when we, we met that way, I was like, oh, this is great. So I said back in um, Adam Adams. I was talking to Adam. He said, uh, he said, I got somebody for you. He said, when you guys, and you came and called, I was like, oh, this is great. This is great. So looking forward to doing some deals here in town. Using look at Adam. Boy, he started oh, out. Just, just trying to do a fix and flip. Now yeah. look at him. Adam you know? is a monster, man. Yeah, he he's is. a monster. He's the reason for this podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> yep, yep. And he's 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 really good at that side of the business. Yep, yep. doing some. I helped stuff. him avoid some of the the really bad potential deals he was going to do in the beginning as a, uh, doing some fix and flips. And I I met him at the property and walked it, and I said, "Here's why. Yeah, this is a bad idea." And he always jokes that he's like, "Man, yeah. you know, you saved me money when when I just mm-hmm. didn't know, right? You know." So, so tell everybody about that process because most most lenders don't do what you guys do. That's what kind of drew me to guys. So our, our coaching and development, it, it is a unique aspect of, of lead funding. Um, you know, listen, let's be honest. There's a lot of sources of money out there, right? And 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 most lenders are like, listen, here's what we can do. Here's our, our rates. Here's how much we can loan. Do you want to do the deal? Great. We can close it on you. You want to close a week from Tuesday? Great. We can do that. And when they close, they say, good luck. And, and make your payments and calls when you're ready to pay it off. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what a lender's supposed to do. Yeah. But we come from the investor world. We understand what it is to do what they're about to do. That's right. And so our mentality is like, listen, we see too many people that they come into this as newbies. Uh, they're excited and they do one and they're done. They get, yep. they get their butts kicked, things go sideways and they never do another one. Right. And we, we realize, listen, we can help not only these people, but even some people that have more experience if we can help them make better choices, then we all win, right? right? We have a vested interest in their success, right? So our mentality was like, listen, why don't we help them get there? Um, why don't we help them avoid making bad choices? We'll, we'll be brutally honest with them. Um, and I look at each deal that they do like it's one of my own deals. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? They'll ask me, so would you do this deal? Well, yeah, but, you know, and, and I'll tell them what the yeah. what the issues are and let's manage through that. Or, yes, but, you know, let's make sure we, we, we're thinking about this, we're thinking about that. Um, so I really enjoy that. I, I like helping somebody, you know, get into the business and then make good choices and then expand off of that. And, and the ones that I really love helping are the ones that they want to learn and they take that and they run with it, you know, yeah. and they, uh, you know, they're taking notes. They're really, they're really building off of the information you're giving them. They don't want to just ride your coattails. They want to build something. Yeah. And those are the great ones to, to help yeah. coach. Um, and, and, and like I said, Adam was, was one of those guys where he didn't know anything about it, but he knew he wanted to do it. Yeah. And so we helped him get going. And now he's a powerhouse in the industry, yeah. not just here, but nationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the coaching and development is just part of the game with lead funding. 
Um, our mentality is we, we will help you make better choices. And it's not just during the initial review of the deal or the initial walkthrough, because one of the things we'll do is once they're under contract and they're working with our people in the office to tighten, you know, tighten up the deal and get ready for closing, we're going to schedule a site visit where I'm going to meet them at the site. I'm going to walk the property with them. We're going to talk about the budget, the scope of work, their vision for the deal. And then, as I said, I'm going to look at it like it's one of my own deals and I'm going to start pointing things out to them. Well, you know, I would do this, or have you thought about that? Or, um, watch out for this. Um, and, and, and it's not just during that walkthrough. If they want vendor uh, referrals, I'm happy to refer vendors to them. Um, if they want to call me during the project, you know, two weeks, three months, five mm-hmm. months later, whatever it is, hey, Al, listen, we're thinking about this or we ran into this problem or we, we want your feedback on this. I'm happy to help. Again, if I can help them make a better choice and, and get that, 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 the right result, That's right. we're all going to be better off. That's right. yeah. Lead funding doesn't want them to have a problem. They want That's them right. to kill it so they can do another one That's and we'll right. help them there right. too. Um, so, and, and it's exciting to watch them evolve and, 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 and start making it happen. I mean, I've got some of these clients where I helped them with their first couple of deals. Now they're doing 20 deals a year. You know, that's kind of cool. And now they're great resources that I bounce ideas off of, you know, because now they're, 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 they're just as capable as I am out there. When you first told me they would come on site, I was like, wow, did I just cut in the chick, just come on site, walking through everything. And how does this look? Because when you, when you're new, you need that. I know my hometown, I sit back and I told my inspector, I said, listen, we're going to use you to walk through everything. That's what he does for a living. He's walked through houses, gives you inspection ports all day. I said, listen. We're going to use you to walk through everything and help my guys there on the ground really understand what they're looking at. And you need somebody who has experience. I did that when I first started. I hired a local home inspector, and I said, tell you what, instead of the normal fee you charge for going and telling them everything, I don't need to know all that stuff. It's a fix and flip, right? I just need to know the major stuff. But tell you what, let's work on a discounted rate, and then you're going to to walk each of my properties. And then I learned enough to where now I do all that myself. That's right. Uh, But – as an investor, you want to learn that stuff, but you don't know it right out of the gate. So somebody's got to help you. And we usually spend about an hour on site with, with each of my clients on that on that initial walkthrough when they're under contract. And it's amazing because that walkthrough really helps them shape the vision for the project. And now they're ready to do a scope of work that's really based on a, a, a much better understanding of the project and what it can be and what it should be and how we should get there. Yeah. Um, and plus, I'll tell them realistically what I think about their numbers. You know, if they're mm-hmm. telling me, "Hey, I'm going to rehab this this 2,000 square foot house for 15 grand," and, and then I have to bring the reality and say, "Well, here's what I think it's really going to cost. Here's why, and let's talk about how we can make that work." And do you have somebody that does this? No, I got somebody. Let me help you out there. You know that type of thing. And and I'll tell you what the the level of confidence it gives them to to attack it the, the day after closing uh, that's. That's that's pretty nice to see them happy about that. Nice, nice. Now explain to everybody what type of lending programs you guys have. So lead funding, uh, uh, hard money lender, you know, private lending, but uh, everybody calls it hard money. Um, and let's just talk about the Denver metro area. In the Denver metro area, we have two types of programs. We have one for a little bit smaller projects. It's good for up to six months. It's two points and 10% interest. It's interest only, of course. And then we have one that's for a little bit larger projects. It's good for up to 12 months, and that's two points and 12% interest. On either of those programs, we'll loan up to 70% of the ARV. So we don't base it on the purchase price, and we don't require a specific down payment. A lot of lenders will say, we'll loan 70 or 75%. Oh, but first got to put 10% down on the purchase price. Yeah, yeah. Our mentality is, listen, if, if our 70% of ARV happens to be greater than the purchase price, touchdown. You got 100% funding yeah, on the purchase yeah. price. That just means you made a good deal, right? Yeah, you, you got a good, yeah. a good buy. Um, we're okay with that. That's not a problem for us. As long as we can get comfortable with you as an investor mm-hmm. and that you got enough working capital and you know what you're doing. And, and if you're new and you're, you're looking to take some advice, then I can help you there. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line is, is uh, we can – we can give you a good rate and we can even help you possibly get the deal because we can offer to close so quickly that I tell my, my clients, listen, use our, our advantage that we can close so fast as a way to try to get deals. When you put it under contract, tell them, Hey, I'll close in three days or five days and, and use that to get the bid from somebody else Mm -hmm. that can't close that fast. That's right. And that has me spoiled. Now my deals in Texas are much smaller than what you guys normally do. But, uh, you said, man, I can learn the terms from you guys. And I'm talking to other lenders. I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> they're all, I'm like, no. They're like, you don't want to take the deal? I'm like, no. 
I don't, I don't like that. You know, and you wouldn't know what to ask if you hadn't heard these other. That's another thing that newbies don't know. They don't, they don't know what's good or bad. That's right. And so sometimes we have to educate them and say, listen, here's what's important. Our mentality is, listen, even if, if we don't do business, we're going to be straight with you and we're going to tell you what we think and, and, and we're going to try to help you make a better choice. And if that Mm -hmm. means that you end up going somewhere else, okay. But uh, listen, a lot of lenders, their mentality is, hey, listen, if they flub it and, and, and they, 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 they walk away from it, then we'll take the asset back and we'll, we'll try to make some money off it. Yeah. Our mentality is we don't ever want that to happen. So we, we want to help people make good choices. That's right. We're not in the business of taking assets. We're in the business of helping people grow in the business. Because in the end, multiple deals. There you go. I mean, multiple deals going forward with that. You don't want to just make this one and done. No. You sit back and do 20, 30 deals, then lines like that's a good relationship. That's right. And you show you try that's to worth the investment. That's right. That's right. So, so many times people don't understand it. So, when I talk to lenders who have the crazy terms, I'm like, nah, that doesn't sound right. You're trying to teach people, listen, this is what's good. This is what's bad. These are the kind of terms you want to deal with. And if you can't find that, then look for somebody because there's somebody out there who's providing that, that kind of stuff going from there. So, we went there on that side. So, let's say, what are the struggles you see new investors usually dealing with? I'm sorry, say that again? What struggles do you see new investors usually deal with? Right now, the biggest struggle is is finding deals that make sense. That's what everybody's struggling with right now, almost in every market, but certainly here locally in Denver. But uh, most markets are, are struggling with a, a, um, a, a less inventory than is mm-hmm. optimal for the, uh, the market. So now, even if you find something that makes sense, uh, the reality is there's probably 20 other investors at least that are going to fight you tooth and nail to get that deal and yeah. probably overpay for it just to get a deal. So, um, in fact, it's gotten to the point where I've, I've got some investors that they've, they've gotten to the point where they're just, they're, they're not even trying to look right now. They're so frustrated because they're not getting deals yeah. because so, so many of them don't make sense anyways. And the few that do, they, they're getting outbid by ridiculous yeah. numbers. And so they're, they're getting fatigued and they're, yeah. they're pulling out a little bit. Um, so that's the biggest struggle. Um, the second one would be, you know, working capital. Sometimes people, they 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 watch these these um, pitches where people tell them, "Oh, you can you can do fix and flips with no money out of pocket." Well, <laughs> no, you got to have some working capital. This is yeah. a small business, just like right. any small business. You got to have working capital. And so, some people are trying to do deals, and they just don't have any working capital, or they have so little that it. You know, I got ten thousand dollars in my bank, and I, I just can't wait to do my first fix and flip. Uh, I watched that couple in Texas, and they they do a great job. I want to do it just like them. Okay, well, you know, you you got to think this through a little bit more, and you need a little bit more than ten thousand dollars in working capital to do fix and flips, or you're going to have some real uncomfortable problems. That's right. Um, so I I think those are really the biggest issues right now. It, it, it's it's inventory is is a big problem, and that'll work itself out. Um, frankly, for investors, a little market disruption is a good thing. So although it's a great seller's market right now, when things adjust and it starts going back the other direction, it, it ends up providing more opportunities for yeah. us to find deals. Yeah. Um, right now, it's easy to sell a deal if you can get it, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it, it's hard to get a deal. Yeah, nice. So tell me about, let's say, your craziest flip, the, the one that ended, you shook your head the most on it, kind of ended up in a bad way. Tell me about the worst one. Then we're going to double back and talk about the good one. So the worst one was a was a deal in Glenwood Springs. It was a large house, had substantial structural damage. It was a foreclosure that we bought from the trustee sale. The prior owner was very upset about that. There was numerous death threats, uh, multiple site visits by this person. It was really uncomfortable. I had to I had to get special security services and cameras for this property. Um, uh, I had a bear break into the house. <laughs> That's an unusual issue. Um, tore up stuff that we had already done. I, I had structural problems that were extensive. Um, I spent, uh, I got a fantastic deal and I still spent almost $70,000 on structural work. Um, and, and in the middle of it, they shut down the I-70 freeway because of the fires and so it was literally a seven-hour detour for people to come from Denver to go up to Wyoming and then come back down to get to the property. And remember I talked earlier about relationships, and sometimes it's better to pay for the right relationship. Yeah. The structural solution that I had was, was such a good relationship. They didn't even charge me for the seven-hour detour wow. that their guys had to take to go to the property and, and oh, finish wow. the, the, the structural work. I mean, that should have been a substantial upcharge, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but it was a nightmare project. Um, there, 
it was one of those properties where every time we turned around, we were finding more problems that we didn't know about that we thought weren't there. And it just, it became like a running bad joke. It yeah. was, it was such an issue, but we finally got through it and, and, and got it sold for a, a decent price. Um, but it was, it was a nightmare. And, uh, and it was a remote project, you know, not local. Yep. It was more yep. difficult because of that. And then added all these issues. So, um, was, was glad to be done with it. So what did you learn from that? Well, can't really stop the bear stuff. <laughs> the security actually, now I have security in all my projects. Nice. So that was actually uh, something that turned out to be a good, a good problem to learn from. Um, and, um, I, I, I knew that it had structural, so I should have built in a bigger contingency. And I think uh, I realized I knew better on that, and I and I didn't build in a big enough contingency when when a project like that, you just know going into it. Listen, you need to have a. If yeah. you're not going to do it, don't bother. Just yeah. move on, do something else, because this type of project needs a large contingency. And I didn't, so I was fooling myself. And 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 it proved itself out that that's what it needed. It needed a larger contingency yeah. to handle the issues, and. And maybe I wouldn't have covered all of the issues with that contingency, but I would have covered a lot. Much, many more of them than I did originally. So th- those were some of the takeaways. Thanks. All right, so tell me about the best slam dunk you had. Well, it, it wasn't the easiest project, but it turned out to be the most satisfying and, 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 and just a, a feel-good. It was absolutely the ugliest, nastiest property I've ever bought. <laughs> in fact, it was so dirty. It was a hoarder house. It was so nasty inside. They hadn't had running water in the house for more than nine months, but there was four people living in the house. So that begs a lot of questions. You don't want to know the answers to, um, the odors were so bad that you had to wear a respirator, not just a mask, a respirator. When you went in there, my wife nearly divorced me when she saw what I bought. Um, we, we had to chase homeless people out of the house several times after closing. One time I came in, thought I was in the house by myself. Turns out there was a homeless person that was trying to take a shower of course, there was no running water. That was uncomfortable because um, I wasn't expecting to run yeah. into that person yeah. in that place. And um, and there was multiple dead animals throughout the house and the property. It had an extensive uh, rodent and insect uh, problem. I had to have the exterminator come back four or five times throughout the project to, to manage it, to get it to the point where it was yeah. good. In fact, it was so bad. Once we demoed everything, we took kills, which is a great... Yeah product for smells and odors and stuff. And we did, we oil based kills and we sprayed everything in the house and <laughs> encapsulated everything and started fresh again. I had to replace yeah. insulation, everything. Oh, wow. um, but I'll tell you what, when it was done, it was amazing. And it, it, it was so charming and it had such an amazing lot after we spent, I spent $75,000 on an 850 square foot house. Oh, wow. So that tells you how bad it was to spend $75,000, but it turned out amazing. And we got multiple offers. We made fantastic money on it. Yeah. And it was just, it was one of those ones where you just couldn't believe the transformation and you knew it was a pain, but you really felt like, you know what? We knew going into it was a pain. We, we budgeted for it. We attacked it. We did it. And it came out awesome. And nice. so that one always sticks out in my head. Nice, nice, nice. All right. <clears throat> So if you could go back 10 years and give yourself some information, what would you say? Well, as much as I hate doing rentals, I would tell myself buy rentals. I realized that, that you know, financially, acquiring a rental uh, portfolio is probably the smartest thing you can do in this business. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't come with pitfalls and yeah. things that you got to manage through. But I didn't like it in the beginning. I did it because I had to a few times and I decided I don't like this. I love fix and flips. I'm good at fix and flips. I'll just do fix and flips. Not that that was a bad strategy, but knowing what I know now and all the things that I've learned. Yeah. The right thing would have been to do fix and flips to generate capital and, and use some of that capital to acquire a, 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 a rental portfolio. And that would have been the, the better strategy. And, you know, but, uh, you know, you're young and you're cocky and you, 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 you think, oh, I, I know I'm going to do it this way and this is going to be better. It, not that it turned out badly, but I think it could have been better. Nice, nice, nice. So good thing. It's been a great show, man. Oh, well, thank you for show. having me. It's yeah, been a pleasure. Great. So how can everybody get in contact with you? Well, uh, again, my name is Al. I'm with Lead Funding. So you can email me at al at leadfunding.com. And you can reach me on my mobile, 303 303- 
503-1974. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to help. We, we're based here in Denver, but we do loans in Colorado, Arizona, Texas, and Washington. And then we do, we do cannabis lending as well nationwide, nice. which is a unique category. We can talk more about that if you have that need. Great, great stuff, great stuff. Well, guys, thanks so much. This has been the Five Hustle Podcast, and thank you so much for watching. And we try to teach everybody about being an entrepreneur and also learn more about real estate and how to be a good investor. If you're interested in doing some deals with me, please give me a call. My name is Priest Gordon. You can find me on Instagram at priest.gordon. Also, email me at priest at linwoodholdings.com. We're doing some fun stuff in Texas, also in Colorado as well. Do three things for me. I want you to like, follow, and share with all your friends. Thanks so much. Go hustle.